the Rockies in the eighth. New ballpark tonight, Jeremy. City yeah. Field. Yeah. Psyched? Well, I figure since we lost the last game at Shea, we might as well lose the first game at City Field the way this season has already gone for me. So, yeah, I'm excited, but at the same time, ready to get disappointed, I guess. And tonight... What, what do you expect from the return of Kim Bauer tonight? Well, this is the beginning of the, the stem cell door. debate, right? Yeah. My God. It, I was ma- it was a major cop-out. Major cop-out. Yeah. I just wanted them to say that Jack Bauer is so awesome, he's able to kill diseases that no one else can come up with the cure for. I wanted the day himself. zero flashback for next year. Day zero, not day eight. That's He'll what interrogate I now, the disease until like, it wilts and, <laughs> and oh he survives. He, Kim Bauer. I'm excited to see her, though. I mean, I'm um, still holding out hope she becomes the next Jack. The 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 the, the real question though is, w- was she 24 sloppy seconds? <laughs> Got it. He went there. <laughs> You're kicked out of the league. I think we'll end on that note. So uh, that'll do it for us uh, tonight. For Jeremy Kreisberg, Rushi Viasduza, Andrew Side, Andrew Gadaris. I'm Rob Salmon again. Michigan to baseball for you. Uh, tomorrow, weather permitting, and once more on Wednesday at 6 o'clock. That's on the WCBN Sports Stream. And uh, we'll have regular shows all week long, Tuesday through Thursday, and Game of the Week, three hours of Sports Talk, Friday night at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific. Again, Harry Callis, the longtime voice of the Phillies, passed away today. Harry Callis, the spirit of the Phillies. He was 73. Here's the stretch by Robinson. The 3-0 pitch. Swing it! A 3-2 pitch, swing and a pop-up. This game is going to be over. Carlos Ruiz squeezes it, and the Phillies are the National League champions. The Phillies move on to the World Series. Brad Lidge fittingly gets the final out, as the Phillies have won it by a score of 5-1. The 0-2 pitch, It's a little after, or it's just about 6.30 p.m. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And uh, I guess we can briefly uh, talk a little bit about the uh, Red Wings-Blue Jackets matchup. I think it's an intriguing one. Yeah, it's uh, kind of an unexpected one. Yeah. Columbus making the playoffs uh, for the very first time in, Mm. I think, four years of existence, maybe six. Yeah, the Blues had a late surge 
I thought we were going to end up playing them, who I think we match up better against. But uh, it's the old Michigan Ohio State. Well, and uh, aspect just so you know, Red Wing fans don't get too comfortable with the idea of uh, oh, this is a nothing team. It's a it'll be a blowout. Uh, they won the last two ma- games, yeah. regular season games, and their goalie is uh, just short of spectacular. So uh, hot goaltenders in the playoffs can be a real nemesis for a uh, a team that scores a lot of goals like Detroit. And so. Nash has just been a one-man wrecking crew. He's yeah, definitely and they're well-coached. The- Ken Hitchcock is uh, one of the better coaches in the NHL. There were definitely Nash is one of the top ten players, and I know he's had... <laughs> Several games of hat tricks against us. So, yeah. One, I guess, good thing about facing Columbus, uh, you you don't want to pick a team because then that tends to backfire on you. Uh, but it looked like up until yesterday that Anaheim would have been the team uh, that Detroit would play, and of course that's a lot of travel. Yeah. So Columbus is a short jaunt, and uh, that will, I think, be a good thing. In fact, it's bizarre if uh, you know everything works out perfectly. They could face all of their rivals within their division uh, in yeah. the Western Conference. It's it's really weird. Yeah, the Central could, Division uh, did could, very well this year. Could work out that way because there's four teams there, and you know I don't remember the exact combo, but basically. Uh, Chicago would have to win, and St. Louis would also have to win right. to get into the next round, and then St. Louis would, would have know, to St. pull St. Louis uh, might actually pull that out. Vancouver uh, kind of slumped uh, fairly dramatically in the last uh, month and a half of the season, so St. Louis might uh, be able to pull that one off. Yeah, and we're out of the Blackhawks bracket, so to speak, so that yeah. might be a good thing because they uh, have played us tough. Of course, the last couple of games I don't think uh, mean much. Also, some sad news that uh, I saw a late-breaking story that Mark Fidridge, the bird, the bird, who uh, broke onto the scene in the late '70s. Um, I actually was still in high school in Ohio when he became a phenom. Uh, his major league career was sort of cut short, uh, but he really created a buzz about the Detroit Tigers for several years in the mid to late 70s when they had some pretty lousy teams. And, uh, you know, the bird will always be remembered. I think it's one of the reasons baseball uh, is our national pastime for these these characters that uh, give us those memories uh, growing up. Uh, I remember my, my talk uncle, to the ball. Yeah, my, and, my uncles used to impersonate. We'd be playing a family game of yeah. ball, and one of my uncles would do the, you know, talk to the ball and pull it up close to his chin like that. And uh, used to go around the diamond, patting his teammates on the back for a good play. And it, you know, it added some color to the game. And uh, we don't know any of the details, but uh, kind of hoping it's natural causes or an accident rather than a suicide because it just said he was found under his pickup which is strange yeah not uh but uh that is uh, the word on the bird he was a little out there but in a good way not not in a crazy dangerous way well the the week has unfortunately been consumed by this pirate business and I don't know how much you want to talk about the pirate business. I mean, just as an American, I'm glad that it worked out um, for the captain because it sounded like he acted nobly. He exchanged himself for the crew. And um, obviously the U.S. Navy 
uh, performed its duties admirably. Um, pardon the expression. But um, I want to give a brain damage award out to the lack of context about this whole piracy business on the one hand. And also, I think it's fairly outrageous that, of course, the conservative talk show hosts were trying to exploit this situation, trying to accuse Obama of being weak, trying to link He's this— soft on pirates. Yeah, so, you know, soft on piracy, then starting to throw around the word terrorism connected with piracy— Piracy is not terrorism. Piracy is piracy. Um, They're separate concepts. And there have been many a pirate uh, in the world uh, over uh, since the creation of capitalism. Uh, in fact, many of the capitalists are pirates uh, in their own sorts of ways. But to sort of divorce the fact that Somalia has been a you know, failed state... Uh, since the early 90s. And a Cold War pawn all through the 80s. Yeah, Cold War pawn throughout the 80s, another uh, example of America winning the Cold War, apparently. Um, all of this has been left out. There have been reports that the original quote-unquote piracy started as a result of illegal fishing off of the coast of Somalia, as well as... Uh, possible mafia dumping of radioactive waste. I mean, there have been, you know, I think there needs to be a real sort of historical investigation into how this piracy developed. And uh, obviously there's no justification whatsoever for uh, boarding ships and holding hostages and demanding ransom, because that's what this is. This is kidnapping... Uh, Hostage holding, ransom, you know, uh, getting ransom from uh, corporations who have, uh, as the saying goes, apparently we're now learning all about the Barbary pirate wars of the late uh, 18th century and early 19th century and uh, Thomas Jefferson's uh, involvement. Um, and I just think that it's... Yeah, that's really one of the first examples of U.S. international military. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating that I've actually been reading a, uh, a superb uh, historical book by George C. Herring from Colony to Superpower, U.S. Foreign Relations in 1776. That's quite a hefty uh, tome there. Yeah, it's a hefty tome. Um, and it's uh, very, you know, what we call objective history. This guy, by the way, wrote what is, uh, many historians consider the best single um, history of the Vietnam War. Um, it's a short wow. book, uh, but it explains uh, the, American, uh, the American government's involvement in Vietnam in uh, basically 1950 through 1975. 75. It's basically entitled uh, America's Longest War by George C. Herring, written in the uh, late 70s, and uh, was on the reading list, by the way, of the recently uh, deceased Sidney Fine, the fine uh, U of M emeritus history professor. Mm -hmm. I took a class with him, and that was our text for the Vietnam War, a superb book. But I, I found that one of the more interesting, and I'll just quote this uh, brief section of a paragraph uh, from Herring's book. 
Raiders from the Barbary states continued to prey on American shipping in the 1790s. Algiers captured 11 ships and more than 100 sailors in 1793 alone. And I rate Congress voted the next year to create a Navy to defend U.S. commerce. But crises with Britain and France forced a bow to expediency, concluding that it would cost less to pay than to fight. Washington and Adams ransomed the release of prisoners. They concluded treaties with Morocco, Algiers, and Tripoli, which is basically modern Libya. Mm. And the Barbary uh, states back in those days were consisted essentially of Morocco, Algiers, uh, modern-day, what was Tunis back then, but Tunisia, Libya, and uh, Egypt. They concluded treaties with Morocco, Algiers, and Tripoli at a cost of more than a million dollars that protected U.S. trade in return for annual payments or the provisions of ships, gunpowder, and naval supplies. As a gesture to local sensibilities, the treaty with Tripoli even explicitly avowed that the United States was, quote, not in any sense founded on the Christian religion, unquote. That's in a direct treaty that was concluded, uh, I believe, in the John Adams years. And then, of course, it goes into the various uh, policies that Jefferson uh, employed in the early 19th century to deal with this, and that essentially this piracy did not end until France invaded Algeria uh, in the 1830s at some point. So uh, bizarre that, of course, the bailout of... The banks has uh, led to some reexamination of the debate about a national bank during the uh, Jackson, uh, John Quincy Adams era. Indeed, yeah. And now we have um, modern-day pirates uh, returning the significance of the Barbary Wars of um, Washington, Madison, Johnson, uh, Adams, and, uh, and it extended even into Madison. Uh, it's part of the War of 1812 and whatnot. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, and I suppose troubling to uh, fundamentalists and uh, right-wing Republicans <laughs> that uh, the treaty language explicitly acknowledged the religious neutrality of the United States. Often forgotten, sadly, the uh, mistake in the early uh, 20th century to emblazon all the money with In God We Trust, pretty controversial move at the time, now just accepted as normative. Um, A policy of Dwight Eisenhower, by the way. Yeah. That um, actually originated. If you go back and you check coins before that, it didn't have that. So uh, that's where we find ourselves now. (laughs) In God we trust all others pay cash, as some uh, merchants will advertise. But needless to say, it's interesting that the Congo... um, also known as Zaire for many years, Somalia and Afghanistan are three of the most failed state regions of the globe right now. And these are all, were pawns in the Cold War. And uh, America does bear some responsibility for the situation that's led to the chaos, led to the economic conditions that's created these... uh, sort of warlord civil wars, because that's what they are. They're ungovernable uh, territories with no central government. And, uh, well, piracy is just the latest manifestation of the consequences of failed states, because the 
uh, central government of Somalia obviously is incapable of uh, patrolling its uh, seas, and of, hence you have these speedboats doing what they're doing. Yeah, I'm sure if Afghanistan were a country that enjoyed uh, a coastline, we'd see plenty of piracy. Uh, yes, on the sea from Afghanistan. Uh, they're landlocked, though, so that's one less thing to worry about from Afghanistan. But uh, And just remember when Paulson came up with the uh, infamous TARP program, the initial draft of it, it came out on Talk Like a Pirate Day, <laughs> Arr, matey. And I thought to myself, man, this doesn't sound like talking like a pirate. This sounds like acting like one. <laughs> right. Well, then, of course, there's the whole issue of uh, copyright and uh, pirated DVDs and so forth. And oh, yeah. That, that degree of piracy uh, quite prevalent in uh, Hong Kong where, you know, I've known people who've gone over there and come back with DVDs of movies that haven't even been released on the big screen here yet. So, uh, different kinds of pirates, different kind of scenes. Uh, Johnny Depp and Keith Richards, notwithstanding. Um, or Long John Silver. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Pieces of eight, mate. Yeah, a book that young people should still read before you get to be uh, 15 or 16 years old. If you haven't read uh, uh, Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, your parents have failed you, I think. Uh, that's a classic that every young person should read. Um, and on the uh, segueing here from uh, pirates to uh, legal repercussions, it's refreshing to see uh, a nation actually imprison a former leader. And I've oftentimes wished, as I'm sure many a listener has, that America would follow this noble process of actually enforcing the laws when they are violated by the highest office holders. Of course. Richard Nixon once famously observed, uh, after having been uh, pardoned safely, uh, in his interview with David Frost, that when the president does it, it's not illegal. But indeed, sadly, it often is. And Alberto Fujimori, the uh, former president of Peru, who's already been serving a six-year jail term for abuse of power, has been given a 25-year prison sentence after having been found guilty on human rights charges relating to uh, killings and kidnappings carried out by a state death squad, a, a phrase that should trouble the legal counsel of uh, Richard Cheney. Fujimori, of course, uh, elected president of uh, Peru back in the 90s, uh, who fled in 2000 and actually faxed in his resignation. I think that's a, a world first. Yeah. Um, went to Japan for a few years and then returned to Chile and then was surprised to discover that uh, Chile actually was going to extradite him. Big shift in Chile where they went after Pinochet and it was a big concerted effort to uh, get Pinochet back from Europe. Uh, there were a number of deaths, 70,000 deaths attributed to the violence between the Maoist guerrillas, the Shining Path, uh, so-called, and uh, these uh, official state-sanctioned death squads. And... Uh, Peru's Truth and Reconciliation Commission estimates that 37% of these 70,000 deaths were actually killed by Peruvian armed forces. So we can, of course, say that George W. Bush is responsible for the murder of thousands of Americans, but certainly uh, his list of crimes is nu numerous and lengthy. 
it's too late to do anything about Richard Nixon. But uh, Dick Cheney and his secret death squad brigade, we might want to consider the uh, model being set by such South American countries as Peru and Chile. Well, and it was bizarre but not surprising to see a uh, recent uh, feature story in the New York Times about George Bush being tanned and rested and that he's feeling quite happy. It was a picture of him posing with cheerleaders in Dallas, and he's apparently been coming out of that hole. Then he promised to smoke, uh, <laughs> going to smoke them out of their holes. Um, yeah, he's uh, he threw the first pitch out last week at the Texas Rangers game, and he's back. But uh, to his credit, unlike Cheney, who apparently can't keep his mouth shut, <laughs> uh, Bush uh, has publicly stated that he, uh, that you know, Obama deserves his, quote, silence, which I think is the proper thing for him to be doing. I think that it's troubling. Maybe the most appropriate thing he's ever uttered. Yeah, and I think that it's... National figure. Not good that he's, quote, happy, because <laughs> so many Americans are not happy. Um, yeah, you see people driving around who still have the uh, W2004 stickers on their car, and you're thinking... Aren't you ashamed? Don't you want to peel it off and pretend right, like right. you never did that? Yeah, uh, it's it's amazing. Um, maybe he's happy because he thinks that there's been some victory in Iraq, uh, you know, as the level of violence has de declined a bit. But I, I just don't see it that way. Um, I just think that Iraq is a, is a quiescent situation at the moment. It's not... Uh, a situation where any big victory has been uh, accomplished. Well, in fact, last week there were six car bombs that went off in one day in yeah. Baghdad, and that represented half of the amount of car bombs thus far this year. There's been 13 to this point, and in one day last week we had six. And there's been a variety of problems with the so-called uh, um, awakening situation that was used uh, to improve and sort of buy off um, some peace that uh, Petraeus, who I think is definitely far more enlightened than his predecessors, and now, of course, is the uh, the man in charge in Afghanistan, Petraeus, uh, uh, David Petraeus at least has a, a sort of an intellectual background uh, in which he understands the problems of, um, you know, that this can't just be a military solution. And um, this, you know, it's it's actually encouraging, for instance, from a recent uh, review of uh, Thomas Rix's book, new book, The Gamble, uh, written by Andrew Basevich, who's sort of a intellectual military guru uh, dwelling in Washington, who's also written an interesting book that came out. His son died in Iraq. Uh, but testifying before Congress in April of 2008, Petraeus said, quote, We're not afraid. We're not after the Holy Grail on Iraq. We're not after Jeffersonian democracy. We're after conditions that would allow our soldiers to disengage. So, I mean, this guy at least has a perspective that's uh, got some legitimacy. He inherited 
the mess in Iraq, and uh, he has rejected this uh, grandiose neoconservative idea that um, you know that the war in Iraq is 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 was part of their idea of transforming the Middle East. Oh, it's been transformed, all right. This is uh, not going to happen. And uh, it's interesting that apparently the uh, Maliki government has been arresting Sunnis uh, that were part of this coalition of the Awakening Council that Mm -hmm. they bought some peace uh, recently as part of the so-called surge. So, uh, Well, and actually it's interesting to note in that context that uh, one of the— bombs that went off in this car bomb was uh, located in a market near the stronghold of Maqtada al-Sadr. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we're not going to see a uh, return of the uh, Sunni Shia uh, violence that was disturbing and uh, extensive. Yeah, and it's interesting that uh, quoting from uh, this uh, review in the London Review of Books, the 26th of March edition by Andrew uh, Basevich. He writes, In Washington, neoconservatives and the rump of Bush supporters now depict the Iraq war as all but one. But the military offers, uh, officers who planned and implemented the surge know better. According to Colonel Greenwood, a member of the Joint Chiefs of Ca- uh, Staff Council of Colonels, The surges produced a, quote, de facto partition, unquote, and left Iran the chief beneficiary. Quote, we have destabilized the region worse than Saddam ever did, he claims. When Rick asked Petraeus when he expected the war to end, Petraeus would hazard only that it was likely to last, quote, a long time. Colonel Mansour Petraeus, as executive officer in Baghdad, insisted that the, quote, United States has got to be willing to underwrite this effort for many, many years to come. I can't put it in any brighter colors than that. Another member of Petraeus's inner circle said, quote, I don't think it does end. We're going to be in this uh, in this centrally located Arab state for decades, unquote. That's the sort of negative... Um, perspective that Rick's, I think, himself shares in uh, understanding this region. So, Well, not to uh, toot uh, our own horn here, but you predicted all that, Yeah, you know, as these events were unfolding. So it, it's not too surprising, but it is certainly uh, disappointing and sobering indeed and expensive. Yes. And, Real and expensive. Needless to say, Obama recently had to ask for a supplemental uh, appropriations. And maybe that's why Robert Gates has surprised some people by offering to slash some top military projects. This was a front page story in the Financial Times last week. Uh, Gates is saying that um, this represents an unorthodox approach uh, that would shift spending goals to concentrate on, quote, wars we are in today and scenarios for the years ahead, these uh, changes, uh, he continues, if approved, will profoundly reform how this department does business. Well, thank God for that. This has been one of the most egregious wastes of money in human history, the Pentagon spending the vast billions of dollars that are not even on budget, the, uh, the black books, as they're called. But among the projects 
that will be ended here are the uh, F-22 Raptor fighter, the VH-71 presidential helicopter. Uh, for example, a contract with Lockheed Martin, who stands to uh, lose quite a bit here. And, of course, Lockheed Martin's response is to say, it's going to cost thousands of jobs, which... Uh, it will. It right. probably will. But maybe there's something better for American workers to do than make uh, hyper expensive mega death machines. But, uh, for example, we've spent $3.8 billion for nine helicopters, seven of which have been delivered. Those are expensive helicopters. Well, the thing do we really was, need those? Yeah. And, and the thing that emerged over the helicopter scandal, if you want to call it that, was that Bush, I think, ordered something like. Two dozen. It's right. Like, why do you need two dozen helicopters for the president? I mean, what, to uh, maybe fly the the dog around, Bo? <laughs> Every family member gets their own? Everyone has a, the, the pet rock that one of the daughters probably probably owns. <laughs> I mean, this is the, the excess that's, that's absurd, and it's interesting that... Southern senators are up in arms about these proposed cutbacks. Um, it's going to leave America weak and vulnerable. Yeah. It's a form of communism. Oh, move yourself closer to the mic. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're going to have a little extra time here. We're being notified. Yeah, we, we have all kinds of signs going on. I think Groucho Marx is... <laughs> <laughs> Taking over the engineering station. But, yeah, it looks like Jerry will be a little late, so Yazoo City Calling will uh, begin about 7.05. It's pretty much standard time. No biggie. Anyway, you were saying. Yeah, I mean, the, the helicopter scandal that recently emerged, and Obama yeah. sheepishly admitted, yeah, well, this is not something that I agreed to. Uh, we don't need this many helicopters, so let's look at a few things here because uh, we're living in the era of sacrifice. Um, fascinating um, data out uh, just showing how precipitous the collapse in world trade is, uh, has been over the last uh, couple of quarters. Um, this is staggering information, and uh, courtesy of Floyd Norris, who uh, continues to be one of the best um, analysts of economic data and trends, I would argue, uh, in uh, the American media today, courtesy of the New York Times. Over the weekend, uh, quoting a Barry Eichengreen from the University of California and Kevin O'Rourke of Trinity College in Ireland, interesting combo, they've written in a paper titled The Tale of Two Depressions. They write, world trade is falling much faster now than in 1929-1930. Uh, two economists have reported. They have a gap, uh, a graph showing th these numbers, and they're mind-boggling. China's trade uh, over year-over-year -year change in total exports down 41 percent. Japan down 38 percent. Taiwan 41 percent. France 33 percent. Canada 33 percent. Germany 32 percent. Britain 32 percent. It's all pretty much in the you know, upper 20s, the one country that hasn't seen a complete collapse is Australia. And, of course, Australia exports quite a lot of raw yeah, that's uh, true. Um, merchandise to China. And uh, this is very troubling. 
In the United States, and this is uh, coming on the heels of the recent uh, improvement in the trade uh, deficit, in the United States in February, Norris writes, uh, the export figure showed a small increase from January, although there were 22% below the uh, February 2008 numbers. That was the first month-over-month-over increase since July when American exports – 